Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedulefly. This episode is with Sean Stokes. Sean owns Luna Rotisserie in Durham, North Carolina. And it was a fun story because when we invited him to be on the podcast, he responded and said that, uh, you know, after getting the invitation, you know, he didn't know we had a podcast. He started listening to some of the episodes and enjoyed them and, and learned a lot. And he actually said, you know, uh, there's a guy in Savannah, Georgia that y'all interviewed named Chris Dickerson. And some of the things he said he's trying to work on, you know, I've, I've put into place here and I'd love to meet him sometime and buy him a beer and, and talk to him about it. So we were able to connect those two. And uh, that's a a great uh, story for, for us, for sure. Um, we really want this podcast to be educational and helpful and inspiring. And if there's opportunities to connect people that, you know, one who's listened to the other and has questions or, or feels like they can help somebody, we always relish his opportunities, and I, and I would extend that. I, I certainly can't promise that anytime you, you'd like to speak to somebody that we can make it happen, but we will certainly try. We'll, we'll, we'll make the request. So if you're listening, you've heard somebody that you really wanted to ask them more or learn more from them or get connected with them, I, I would think I think most of the people we've interviewed uh, you know, would be willing uh, when they have time. So many of them, of course, are so busy. But nevertheless... Uh, shoot us a note if you've got uh, some interest to support at schedulefly.com and we'll be happy to try to make that happen. Uh, so Sean is a, just a great dude, very humble, very low-key, very intelligent, very thoughtful, very caring of his staff. He's been very important to him to put in excellent pay for his staff and important benefits for his staff. He's really ahead of the curve, I think, on a lot of things. So I highly recommend listening to the way he looks at compensation and health care and other benefits. And Sean's also getting ready to open a second location. He's working on another one in Carboard, North Carolina. And he's going to do great. Sean's a, a, just a, you know, he's one of those those people that you just can tell by being in their presence that they're a good person and their heart and their mind is in the right place and they're not focused on um, the bottom line. They're not focused on revenue and all that. Those are the byproducts of their, their greater focus on you know, the impact they're making in the lives of their staff and their community and their, their guests. So enjoy listening. More episodes coming up soon. See you. All right, we are live. What's up, everybody? It's Will here with Schedule Fly, and I'm in Durham, North Carolina today. Hotbed for the culinary scene. Bunch of incredible places here, and uh, I'm with Sean Stokes, and we're at Luna Rotisserie. And when did y'all start? We opened in August 2015, so we just turned four on the 26th of August. Dude, congrats! Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, so you, I read your uh, website, mm-hmm. and um, I want to get into your backstory. But we, folks, we decided to just like Sean was asking me some questions about schedule fly and stuff like that. I said, "Heck, we'll just start recording and uh, share the story because a lot of you know, people always like to hear it." So um, it's fire away, man. All right. Well, uh, I guess my question was, you know, what your role in Schedule Fly is. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, and my, I'm actually starting this off by interviewing you. Yeah, there we go. I like <laughs> it. Um, okay, so I'm a I'm one of the three partners at Schedule Fly. Uh, Wes and Tyler and I are the partners in the business, and uh, I'm checking my volume here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is Wes's original idea. He's written all of our software. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he made the schedule at the bridge dinner in uh, Riceville Beach, North Carolina, years ago. The place has been there for 40 years, and he, you know, it was people writing down time off requests on the back of a ticket and chicken scratch and mm-hmm. putting it all together. And he writes software, so he came up with this really simple and elegant solution. And the three of us are partners. We, uh, Charles and Hank, that work with us, uh, we all work together. There's five of us here, and we all work together at a previous business that was sold in 2007 and we're 40 people in that business and uh everybody kind of dispersed because it, it kind of sucked after we got acquired and wes and tyler uh ventured out and started schedule fly mm-hmm. and i had to stick around with that last one because um we had an earnout, and i was a shareholder and we had to hit our earn out and all this stuff for like another year so i stuck around and they kind of got they got schedule fly going and got some initial customers and uh, asked if I wanted to be a part of you know helping them these guys are um, they, they you know they they don't like sales and marketing that's not what they want to do and I do so mm-hmm. that was what I was going to do we thought we were going to serve chains um, and I, I thought I'd be flying around and you know selling big contracts to chains and we realized early on that was not what we were meant to do they wanted like a really complex software they wanted a lot of stuff and uh it's just not who we wanted to serve so we realized we really just needed to focus on independence that's what we knew that's where wes had worked and then we realized well how how the heck do you get a lot of independent restaurants that are paying 30 or 40 bucks a month to find out about you you can't really do direct sales you can't do um cold calls we tried some email marketing it's not really our style and um but what we realized was word of mouth was working really well and you know with turnover in the industry people would go from one restaurant to the next and they'd say oh we use schedule fly at our last restaurant you guys are on pencil on paper still or excel or whatever why don't you try it out and we had this free trial so i was like well what can we do you know sort of organically create some awareness and i realized content I, we realized content was a good thing. And so I started interviewing successful restaurant owners back in like 2009 and summarizing the interviews on our blog and stuff like that. And uh, she was so damn good. I mean, like every time I speak with one of y'all, I, I would I just learn so much and I have so much respect for people that do well in this business. So we thought, well, you know, gosh, you can self-publish a book now. This is around 2010. We mm-hmm. thought, why don't we publish a book that shares, like, how to be successful in the restaurant business? And we thought it would be like, okay, here's the common threads. So I interviewed all these people, had like 20 owners. And I went, there's no common thread. Everybody does it their own way. There's some, like, you know, like some guys, you know, but there wasn't anything. So we just published a book of interviews. Yeah. And uh, people liked it. And... Then we kind of started doing podcasts and we started doing some film stuff. And um, so I, I kind of do all that stuff. It's creating content and sharing customer stories. And uh, I also answer the phones. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Phone support <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, since you reached out <clears throat> to set this up, I've been listening to a few of them and, and it's good stuff. It's really great. Um, you know, not just interesting for someone who's in the industry, but I think for anyone to find it really yeah. fascinating stuff. So, kudos to y'all. And, and yeah. as far as the, the software goes, you know, we've been using it since day one, and it's it's great. I mean, the, the managers that. love it, the, the service staff loves it. It's, Appreciate that. It, it, it provides you know everyone the autonomy to 
make trades and requests and everything on their own. It all just kind of happens in the background. It's all documented. It's, yeah. Well, I appreciate great. that. Mm-hmm. You know, Wes and Tyler were really smart early on. They've always, and Wes has been so adamant about this, and I'm, we're all thankful for it, is he's really, you know, software, it's easy to let, let it go, or not let it go, let yourself get caught up in just adding and adding and adding and adding and adding, and all of a sudden this software that people liked that was simple, mm-hmm. they wanted to be simple and to just do its job and be done, becomes complicated. Mm-hmm. It's easy for that to happen in software, and Wes has always been adamant, we have to keep this really simple, we have to keep this really clean. It should do what it needs to do so they can go focus on running their restaurant and taking care of their guests and yeah. stuff like that. So well, that was, that's been the philosophy. Mission accomplished. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I'm glad you've liked the interviews. I enjoy the heck out of doing them. Yeah. I always learn, and I, and I think you're right about not just restaurant people because, dude, this is a tough-ass business. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's hard. You're juggling a thousand different things all the time and putting out fires. And my, I really do this because, quite frankly, I like, brutally honest, I don't, I don't think I could do it. I, tr- I really admire y'all, and I respect you, and I like to learn because I think it's just very challenging, way, way more challenging than the average person might think mm. to, to, to run a successful restaurant. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, there's a lot to it for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> there's always more to learn. That's why I've, I've enjoyed listening to a lot of the other, the other interviews. And I think that there's a lot that you can learn um, about what folks in the industry, in this industry, have to say that can be applied to other industries and, and other businesses. Yes. So it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of overlap. Um, yes. So anyone who's thinking to start their own business, no matter what it is, if it's in, it doesn't have to be a restaurant. I think there's a lot of really quality advice and, and lessons learned that I've just gotten in the few interviews. What have you gotten? I'm curious. Like what things have you uh, picked up from, from some other folks? Well, I mean, Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name already, but uh, from Whiskey Kitchen. Um, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. We just did that. Jeff Mickle, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was mentioning um, just spending more time on the design mm-hmm. phase, you know, working with architects to kind of Place awesome. don't rush through that. It's really cool. Yeah, if you rush through that, you're likely to come and encounter more issues, yeah. and, and I think that's that's true. It's smart. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's a lot out there. It's, sometimes it's just uh, little subtle things that you you find it can apply specifically yep. to your your industry or your business. What's cool is I was so excited when you emailed me yesterday and said uh, that you, you know, listened to Chris Dickerson's mm. yeah. interview and that he was trying to work on some things that you've done and like you guys are now connected. Like that's to me, to all of us at Schedule that's really meaningful. If mm. There's something that comes out of that, even if y'all just have a beer. And oh yeah, I mean that. <clears throat> Because he's in, but by the way, for those listening, I mean, we're in Durham and Chris is in Savannah, Georgia. So mm-hmm. it's not like y'all are right around the corner, but you probably may not have connected otherwise. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we all, we all can learn from each other's um, trial and error and yes. our, our own mistakes and, um, or successes and wins. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he was talking about some of the things that he wants to implement in his new projects that, that we've tried to tackle here yeah um you know profit sharing with uh some of the management and um implementing health insurance we're very proud to 
be in our second year providing health insurance now. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. That's no easy thing, I would imagine, and it's an expensive thing. It is, yeah. But it, for me, it was really important uh, to be able to, to eventually provide it. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's one of those things where I think, like many things, um, it's it pays off in the long run in terms of retention, yes. in terms of yes. employee morale and, yes. and the commitment to the cause. Yep. Can't measure this stuff, but it's yeah. meaningful. Yeah. Yes. It's a long view. I like that. A yeah. ton, man. Um, who's, who's doing that? Like, where do you get, I mean, is there, are there any companies that specialize in restaurant health insurance, or is it just you got to go to the same people that everybody else does? Yeah, not that I'm aware of right now. Um, and the last figures that I read on it, only 10% of restaurants offer insurance, and that, that includes seems like there's an opportunity there for some, you know, like yeah. restaurant workers across the board tend to have like, you know, similar wages, similar time in life. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like there are some efforts underway. Uh, I've heard, you know, murmurs of it um, to try and find ways to aggregate restaurants into pools of collective to reach economies of scale yeah. to get um, policy and premiums down. Okay. And um, I think that's key. Yeah. Right. So you know, if you're like us and you have 25 employees, you're going to get a certain rate. But yeah. if you have 250 employees, well, they're much more uh, eager to work with you to get the price down. So yes. I think that's key is trying to find ways to. I don't know if it's through some sort of cooperative or other collaborative yeah. means to create an entity that, that could apply as one with several restaurants working together to, yes. to pull those. 100%. <clears throat> Absolutely. Very meaningful. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because health insurance is, is, is I don't know, man, it's going, it's going up so much. It's so expensive. And we're like, everybody's got something they're dealing with, autoimmune something, or they're on medication for something these days. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I've actually spent a ton of time uh, last year trying to we, I have a family member who's dealing with some pretty serious autoimmune stuff, and it's like one of those things where nobody can really figure it out. All this stuff they don't really know, but I got to tell you, it, this ties into this because you know you're in the restaurant business and you're into serving food, and I'm starting to really dial into like what we put into our bodies mm. and how much of an impact that really does have on our health. It's it's way more than I think most people probably understand. Yeah, I think there's something to that for sure. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Um, well, okay. Let's go back. So you went to culinary school. Yeah. And you graduated in 98. From 98 from Johnson & Wales in, in, in Charleston, South in Carolina. Charleston. It was still in Charleston. <clears throat> they moved it. When did they move to Charlotte? That's a good question. Not that long after that. I no, it wasn't too long after that. No. Okay. Uh, early aughts. Okay. And then uh, you worked at some pretty badass places up and down the East Coast. Uh, and yeah. I, I started off as a dishwasher at 14 yeah, in, okay. a, in a fried seafood house. Where'd a, you grow up? Uh, Vero Beach, Florida. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. So I grew up in Vero Beach and, um, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth in, in the industry was in the dish pit. And then, you know, eventually moved up to the line and was shucking oysters and mm. steaming clams and things like that. And then... Uh, from there, I, uh, you know, just kept on working both front of the house and back of the house. You know, I jumped out and did bust some tables at a French restaurant for a little while, and 
Then I made my way back into the kitchen when I started working with, you know, who I consider to be my mentor, Ben Tench. He had a restaurant in Vero uh, Beach, Florida called Tango's. And, Tango's, okay. Uh, ben, if you're listening. Is he still there? Yeah, he's still there. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the restaurant anymore. He's, uh, I think he's working at a, um, at a resort called The Moorings. He's the executive okay. chef there, uh, still in Vero Beach, Florida. But um, he was the first person that really introduced me and just kind of blew me away with, with food and cooking and, and really kind of got me back into it. Or made me think about it as a, as a long-term career. Okay. And um, so I... Uh, what did you learn from him? Like, what, what about him? Why, why, was, why did he get you so fired up? Oh, man. I send him the link to this, by the way. He might enjoy listening. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I definitely will. Um, gosh, he was the first person to... You know, he was the second person to teach me how to run a business and, and how to treat your employees right and the first person being my, my dad he had a heating and air com- company okay. um, and uh, and he just he just kept it positive I mean he, it was he really really cultivated a, a surrogate family with the staff and there was no you know no animosity between front of the house back of the house it was just you know everyone was just in it to make this thing the best restaurant in in town by far and um he uh hard to do yeah it is it is really hard to do and um, i say hard it's just it's not easy and it's not natural for a lot of people and it's it's a but it's it's a necessary aspect of success in this business it is and and i think when you're when you're opening a restaurant and uh and it's your own thing and you put a lot on the line and you you're risking a lot it's um it's hard to keep the stress level down and maintain a level head yeah and uh and 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 cultivate that environment that's gonna set everyone else at ease and, and make it a fun place to be as opposed to a stressful place to be you kind of have to create a barrier between what's going on in your head yeah and and then what you convey to the rest of your team yeah um but yeah and he, um so i worked with him on and off for you know five years and um went to culinary school and worked up and down the east coast I worked at some places in Cape Cod Chillingsworth um, and uh, and then I, I found my way over to the Ritz-Carlton in Naples Florida and in that sense I was kind of following in, in, in Ben's footsteps he was the executive chef at the Ritz-Carlton Rancho Mirage California okay and um, and so I went into there with a uh, into the Ritz-Carlton with a, like a five-year plan to go in you know, work, work my way up through the ranks, title out within a couple of years, and, and take over one of the five kitchens that was at that property. Okay. And then the idea was to work for a few years, and um, and then eventually try and sell my resume out and, and shop it around and try and find investors to invest in my own restaurant. Well, um, I quickly realized that, that wasn't going to happen because it was one of the worst working environments that, that I had encountered. Really? Yeah. And, and and you know, this was 20 years ago. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they've improved since then. But and, and it could have been just this particular property. But sure. Um, and this is important because it's it's shaped the way that I've created Luna. Uh, profoundly, it shaped the way that that I've that I've created the environment here. So you learned a ton about what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And and so and, and what what not to do in terms of you know how you treat your employees, what not to do in terms of um, waste and sustainability. Okay. Um, so just as an example, so 
the way that it was set up there at the time, um, they had pretty much no f rules on food costs, but very strict rules on, on labor costs and overtime. Okay. Um, and to me, that kind of had it backwards. Yeah. Um, you know, so what that meant was is that they were incredibly short-staffed, and, uh, and I was working at a three-meal restaurant at the time. Uh, the kitchen closed for maybe five hours out of the day. Oh, my gosh. And uh, so what would happen is that at the end of your eight, you weren't allowed to work any more than eight hours. And at the end of your eight-hour shift, um, there was always more work to do. Well, rolling it back a little bit. So the only way to really advance in the Ritz-Carlton at this time was to get the uh, approval of your immediate supervisor to get a promotion. So imagine you're done with your eight hours and you have to clock out, but you still have three more hours of work that needs to be done to get the station prepared for the, the next shift. Um, so you got two options. You can say, okay, well, I'm going to punch out. I'm going to go back to work for two hours. Never get a promotion. Never get a promotion. Yeah. Or you just say, oh, see you wait. later. So, uh, you know, I found, I found myself working 60 hours a week getting paid for 40. And, um, you know, That's no, brutal. no, um, you weren't really, you know, on the books, you were supposed to get a certain break for just to, like, to sit down and get a bite to eat. But that really wasn't in practice how it worked. So I think when I left there, I probably weighed 130 pounds. Oh. I was just in, in bad shape mentally and physically. And, um, you know, and then, the, then the food waste, you know, I remember on Christmas Eve, 1999, um, at the end of the night, um, being told to throw about a, a dozen 20-pound turkeys into the garbage. And, oh, uh, man. And there was, you know, some reason uh, in terms of, you know, time and temperature rules as to why they couldn't serve them the next day, and, and, and that's understandable. Uh, but you're allowed to give those things to employees to take home, and the ra they said that they couldn't let the employees take it home because they, they wouldn't be able to discern whether or not they had, were stealing it or were actually allowed to take the food home. Um, so that was a rationale for it all going into the garbage. And, and so at that point, Silly. so things like that kind of shaped, yeah. you know, the way that I felt about the industry at the time. And, and, um, and so it was kind of at that point that I decided I was going to take a break from it and carve out a different career path hmm. and, um, and kind of reassess where I was and, and where I was going. And, so I went back to Charleston and went to the College of Charleston and started studying international business. Yeah. And this is where my, uh, my road to opening a restaurant becomes pretty unorthodox. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I went back to college. I, I, went, I continued working in the industry, waiting tables to put myself through college. Um, and uh, this was in the early aughts. And uh, while I was in business school, microfinance became a thing. Yeah. And for anyone who's not familiar with microfinance, it, it, it's... it's the notion of giving people in uh, developing countries um, small loans to start their own business and, and try and you know facilitate entrepreneurship and Kiva, um, Kiva does that right and that is that Kiva yeah, yeah. Kiva is a neat platform um, we I use that I love it yeah it allows you oh, to God. kind of donate uh, give a loan directly to someone yeah when they pay it back yeah this is an ad for Kiva but I don't I mean I, I love <laughs> Kiva yeah. I've been doing it for a long time because. You go in there and you see who you gave the loan to, mm -hmm. or you can choose, and it has their profile, and then they, when they pay back the loan, which they do at an incredible rate, uh, the default rate's very low, yeah. then you you could take your money back, or you can just lend it to somebody else. So we've cycled, my family, we've cycled through a lot of people. That's really last, cool. Oh, man, it's awesome. Yeah. Micro, so you got dialed into that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I got really into it, and I thought, you know, well, this is a way that I can 
um, use my business degree to for good, and at the same time, it can give me the opportunity to travel and yeah. see the world a little bit. And um, so I went to work for an organization called Finca. Okay. Um, they're based in D.C. and at the time they were in 23 different countries, and that was sort of my foray and entry point into uh, a 10-year career in international development. Was that microfinance? Finca? Not yeah, microfinance. Finca was a, is a microfinance organization, but um, I, I basically from that point forward, um, well, I left there and I went into the Peace Corps. Okay. And uh, I was in Ecuador for a couple of years. It's a long way from the line at Ritz Carlton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it was neat, you know, that was sort of my boots on the ground experience getting in, into international development and, and, um, and kind of seeing what's what. And, uh, and from that point forward, I, almost every project that I, that I worked on, um, just kind of by chance happened to be working on um, trying to improve different food uh, and agricultural systems. So okay. I never really gravitated too far away from, from food. So in Ecuador, I was working with coffee growers and trying to find ways to help them improve their organic farming techniques. Um, I worked with uh, Brazilian cattle ranchers to try and find ways to uh, reduce their impact on the Amazon. Um, shrimp fishermen in Mexico to reduce their impact on coral reefs in the Sea of Cortez. Most of it was trying to find what's called triple bottom line solutions, also known as the three E's. So uh, industry decisions that you can implement that will improve the economy, the environment, and social equity. Yes. And so that was basically what I did for the next 10 years. And, and um, that's what I was doing here in Durham before I opened up Loon. I was, I was working as a research analyst and consultant with, with uh, Duke University. Okay. And, um, and then also with a, a small uh, consulting firm called Datu Research. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so then, I guess we're getting to the point where I decided to open Luna, and, and what, I had kids, and, uh, and that changes everything. You have three now. I do. I have three boys, uh, ages, ages seven, five, and almost two. Now, man, get yeah. ready. It's get like, ready. It's already like <laughs> w, WWF at my house. <laughs> I bet it is. I bet <laughs> it is. They're awesome, man. I love kids. I've got three myself. Oh, do you? Yeah. They're a little older. My daughter's 15. Okay. Uh, she's got a permit. That's kind of scary. And then um, I've got a 12-year-old son and a 10-year-old son. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. You did it right. You had the daughter first. Yes. Yes. Yeah, she's That's a teenage girl. Ooh, man. It's <laughs> something. I don't know. I'm lost a lot of times. I tell my wife, I'm like, you got to take care of this. I don't I don't understand that. <laughs> That's why we're teens, right? That's right. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, um, yeah. So, leading up to that, you know, I was all I really wanted to do my whole life. Really, was even when I was in, into cooking. One of the things I, I liked about it was that I could, I knew I could do it anywhere, and I could, I could yes. see the world and travel, and, and and it was something I could really do anywhere. And and um, and so now I was in this position where I had this career where I was traveling all over the place. I was, you know, living in South America, Central America, um, right about. On coming up on my son's, my oldest son's first birthday, I was I was in Africa, I was in U, in Uganda, and just thinking to myself, I'm on a tra- on a trajectory to travel more, work more, yeah. see my family less, right? And suddenly everything that I ever wanted in life was to kind of turn on its head, and so very counterintuitively to most, I decided I could see my family more, 
uh, and get more work-life balance eventually by opening a restaurant. And and uh, at the same time in Durham, it was this was 2014. Um, Durham was growing like mad, as yeah. is the whole area. Sure. And there were just still not quite a lot of, of restaurants. There were a few, you know, that were doing great, and but there's definitely lots of room for for more. And uh, some of the cuisines just hadn't been touched on yet. And um, so Luna, in a sense, is kind of everything kind of come full circle. You know, it was almost all the time that I spent in South America and Central America. Yeah. Uh, and in in the South have you know kind of come together for this this restaurant and this fusion cuisine that i call south american meets american south mm. so that's uh nice. kind of how luna came to be very cool so yeah we um well congrats on that first of all and thanks. just you know i respect that a lot i mean you it's hard i mean you're you know you're you're raising a family you're at a point in your career like you've had kids now you're like okay well I got a lot of, you know, got mouths to feed. I got to take care of my family. I got to keep excelling in my career. A lot of guys get lost in that and they get to a point where they're like, I have friends, you know, I'm 45, you know, and they're my age and they're like, I'm kind of stuck. Like all I do is work all the time now and I have to, cause it's, I can't really like change now, but it just means more work, more travel, more time away, more money, but yeah. I would trade. At what cost? Yes, that's right. That's a big cost. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I often say that, you know, our most valuable non-renewable resource is time. Amen, brother. And that's Amen. what I was aiming for with uh, trying to open this place up. I, uh, the, the trajectory that I was on was, you know, I think at the time I was working maybe 50 hours a week. And now we had these little computers in our pockets that make it so that we're constantly connected yes. to work and yes. tethered to it. And I just, yeah, I was doing some consulting on the side and working with and communicating with people that were in positions that I was aspiring to be in. Yeah. And, um, they were emailing me at 11 o'clock at night and it wasn't because they didn't start work until two in the afternoon. It was because they were, they were working constantly at 11 o'clock working. at night. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, it suddenly occurred to me that I was, it was almost like I was standing in line for a punch in the face. Man. And, and that, that I wanted to turn that trajectory on its head. And so I said, all right, I can open this restaurant. I'm going to be there 80 hours a week at first but then if i put my head to it and and design it right and um get all the systems in place and find the right people then i can eventually dial myself back and get it up and running and 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 then be working a lot less are you there yeah so four years in yeah we're about to reset the clock though because we're working on another project ah that's all right though i mean that that's just part of the cycle but how long did it take you to get from you know, 80 hours a week to something that was more manageable and sustainable? Uh, it's hard looking back to and remembering exactly. I, I think it was probably about six months to get down to like the, the 50 hours a week. Okay. And then after maybe the next 12 to 18 months, I felt like I was, I could pull myself almost entirely out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then work. Then I had to catch up on a lot of the administrative stuff that I hadn't. Work on the business, not in the business. As yeah, much. yeah. So just you know, getting my bookkeeping right. And, yeah. And, and getting you know everything where that needed to be. It was kind of you know freewheeling for the first. Yeah. 
year uh, just because I just didn't have, didn't have the bandwidth to do it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good to know that. That's good for people to know. They need to understand that that's the kind of commitment it's going to take, particularly early on. A lot of people, I don't know that they necessarily truly realize that when they're going to start a restaurant, you know, 80 hours a week is not. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, like, that's, I mean, I, I expect I would, any, that anything, or more. anything less, I would say you're probably yeah. missing something. Yeah. You're probably still missing something. I was missing stuff. Yeah. Even being here 80 hours a week. So, did you, um, was your wife, like, did y'all do this together, or was this you, or is this... Yeah, so we started off um, with a partner, and um, and he helped me get the front of the house up and uh, running. Oh, okay. And then, unfortunately, about 11 months into it, um, he found out that his mom was terminally ill, and so he mm. really wanted to go back and be with her, and, um, and so we, we did our best to kind of work out a way to... to Start working towards buying out his share of the restaurant. Okay, were y'all e- equal partners or? Uh, he was a minority partner. He, okay, so that's good that you had. Okay, yeah. And then my wife, uh, she's a nurse. She okay. works in labor and delivery. Oh wow! Oh man! Yeah, she's bless her. That's a wow. Good. It's a, it's a rewarding yes career for sure. And uh, so, you know, she, she and I've been partners in a lot of things we were both in the Peace Corps together okay. actually we lived together in Ecuador and um, so we were absolutely whether or not uh, your spouse or partner or significant other is technically a partner or not they're going to be a partner in, sure. in some way shape, they're form, married to the business support, too just yeah. Like, yeah absolutely and so my sleepless nights were hers um, yep. but I'd say about maybe a month or two into it um, she decided to take a break from the hospital and jump in, and she had worked in restaurants as well. She and I both okay. worked in restaurants, you know, in Charleston and Washington. Did you meet her in restaurant? Um, no, I actually met her at College of Charleston. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she came in and, and helped with the front of the house management for about four or five months. Okay. And um, and then uh, eventually got to the point where it was there was more stability out here. Yeah. And she was able to get back into the hospital again. But okay. um, she still jumps in and helps out every now and again when's necessary. And we're, uh, we're planning to open up a second location, and, and she'll do the same thing there. She'll jump in and and, uh, and help run the front of the house for the first few months. That's nice. She, she has the flexibility run. to be able to do that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's important for us to um, have all the owners you know, being uh, customer-facing for a little bit and so that the community can get to know us. Yeah. So the staff can get to know us, and, yeah, and, and and really, that's just as much, uh, just as important as the value that she adds to getting the the management systems up and running. Same concept, or same concept, yeah. Where, are you in Durham? Uh, we're going to be hopefully in Carborough. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you know Teddy Diggs? I don't. He has a Coronado Pizza. Okay. That's a recent episode. Listen to that. He's okay. got a really interesting story. He's a great dude. Really admire him a lot. Yeah, they just opened like, well, let's see, I was there la- last week, two weeks ago. They had just been open for two and a half weeks. I was like, dude, why are you doing a pl-? <laughs> But he was really interesting guy. He had a great story and a really good demeanor. And then Andrew Moore is there at uh, Venable Bistro. Okay. Uh, I know Venable. Yeah, he was on recently, too. I agree. Carver's a, that's smart, man. That's a good, uh, good place to be. Yeah, we're excited about it. Front end of that kind of probably making the leap over the next decade yeah very cool congrats well 
it's not a done deal yet, but yeah. we're, we're, I'd say we're 90% you, of the way there. Buying or leasing? We're going to buy a property. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's, we spent the last two years <sighs> looking everywhere to try and find something, and um, I lease this space now. Yeah. And, uh, and I just felt like the next one I wanted to do, I wanted to own it, and, and yes, I, sir. I held out until I could find the right spot, and it took patience and time and a lot of hard work to, to find the spot. Yeah, and uh, and actually even had a, a deal or two go fall through, which yeah. hurts. Um, so that's why I'm reluctantly excited or excited about it now. Just it, we're almost across the finish line. Yeah, I hope it. Oh man, fingers crossed. Yeah, thanks. Owning the real estate that's very appealing to me. Yeah, um, it just takes out so many risk factors and it mitigates a lot of risk for sure reduces your rent <laughs> it, does, <laughs> it does but it's a long investment right i mean you're buying you know you're buying a piece of property in a, a community that's just going to grow and it's outside of chapel hill there and so the investment in that property alone is probably you know 30 years from now pay incredible returns but yeah i mean by comparisons we were looking at places in raleigh and the, the rental rates there right now are high 30s low 40s a square foot yeah which is a lot yeah. And uh, so I think for the space that we are buying, if we were to be leasing it, um, the rent is in the eight to ten thousand range. Yeah. Um, and then with your upfit and your loan, you're looking at an, uh, another monthly payment of two to three thousand dollars. So yeah. you're looking at thirteen grand a month. And then, and this is for listeners who might be considering doing this themselves. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, the, the the building that we're buying and and all the upfit and everything together. Um, the monthly payment will be around six. Wow! So it's just it's night and day, and you're you're you're, you're putting it towards an asset. Yes, that's and, fantastic. And, and it's um, it's a plan B if things get, go sideways. You know, at least you can then you can become a landlord. That's right. Um, yeah, you just have you have other options that are out there. Did you get? Do you have investors? Uh, no, no, okay. no. We um, we you, we've gone the SBA route. And this is something else that, you know, I feel like all my I've been hearing a lot of that lately. That sounds like a, I didn't realize that. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah. All my, all my career, for as long as I can remember, everyone said, you'll never get a formal financial institution to give you a loan for mm-hmm. a restaurant. You just yeah. won't. It's too high risk. They won't do it. And then, you know, when I got serious about opening Luna, I just started asking around and, and um, I don't remember how it came about, but you know, someone said, "Listen, look, I, I know someone that does SBA loans, and they're sort of the equivalent of a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. They, they shop around and try and find lenders who are willing to do it." Yeah. And um, yeah, so for those who don't know how the SBA works, basically, it's a it's a government agency that guarantees up to eighty percent of a bank's loan. Yeah. And it's there to facilitate entrepreneurship, facilitate small business growth, and so you know, if you take out a two hundred fifty thousand dollar loan, um, you know, whatever eighty percent of that is, is if the business goes sideways, uh, the government will back up the bank. So it, it removes some of their risk. Yeah, as well. Absolutely. Um, the interest, depending upon the product, you know, the interest rates are are fairly reasonable. Fixed. Uh, uh, again, depending on the product, yeah, some okay. are fixed, some are variable. So um, we have a variable rate for. Luna. Okay. Um, which, is it like a balloon payment or is it just... No, it's 10, ten, it's ten years and it, it, it fluctuates with the Fed rate. Amortize over 30 or is it a 10-year loan? No, just 10. 10-year loan. Okay. Yeah. Now Got there's it. a different product for if you're buying property that's a 504. Yeah. And um, and that has a fixed component. Okay. And right now the rates for that are silly. I think the one that we're locked into right now is 3.9%. So, I mean, it's... <sighs> 
Can't wow. beat it. For how long? 20. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, good timing on that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So if anyone out there is, you know, thinking about doing this and just, you know, thinks that financing and funding it is the, is the biggest hurdle to it, you know, if you can pull together some capital, you have to have like 25% down Yeah. Uh, for a first concept. Okay, first concept, 25% down, but you're, okay. You need three things. You need you need experience. One, they're going to want to see your resume. Okay. You got to have the, your capital, your skin in the game. Yeah. And um, the, I'm spacing on the third thing now. So it's, uh, oh, and, and, and a banging business plan. You really got to put a, a lot of time and effort into the business plan mm. and, and make, make sure that you've got all your T's crossed and I's dotted. What's experience mean? Like if you have, if you're, cause I think a lot of people out there listening, they want to get into the restaurant mm. business. They've been in the restaurant business. That is, they want to own their own place. All right. Now they got a banging business plan. Mm-hmm. They got 25% down, mm-hmm. but they've never owned their own place. Yeah. What happens? Is well, that harder for SBA loans for that or? I, you know, there's no... You know, I didn't own anything anything beforehand. I was just had worked in positions, in enough different positions, and, and yeah. uh, over a long enough period of time. Okay. Where career longevity and yeah, and, and they're going to want to see, um, they're going to want to see that you held some some management positions, certainly, and that you understand, you know, that you've worked with systems and uh, managed people, and that you know the ins and outs of the business. But there's no requirement to have been an owner. So, but the bank is okay. The bank's got the guarantee, but their underwriters are the ones who are looking at your business plan. And mm-hmm. you got to sell the bank oh, yeah. on this, not the government, not yeah. the SBA. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not a completely shoe, and, and they're not going to be com- entirely risk averse because if they default, if they have a certain number of SBA oh. loans go under, then the, the the SBA will revoke their privileges. They're, okay, so makes sense. They can. One That's or two fair. can go yeah. sideways, but they don't want a lot to go that way. So there is, there are certainly some some thresholds. A lot of banks doing these SBA programs? quite a few, quite yeah. a few. Okay. And, and and it can be, you know, there are smaller banks that are going to be. Um, it'll take on more risk, um, and that's so. I went with one called uh, Civis Capital, and um, but then there are other larger banks like BB&T that, that do them as well. Yeah. But they are going to be a little bit more risk averse because they want to maintain their status and their good standing with the SBA and don't want to risk, you know, take being uh, having that privilege of being able to work with them. What, okay. what the, the smaller banks are doing, as I understand it, is that they're, you know, they're charging a little bit higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. And then once it's in good standing, then they'll try and sell it to a larger bank. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So they don't hold. The, all right. Yeah, it seems like if you have a good plan and experience uh, and enough capital down, you might even be, you know, you might even be able to get the banks to kind of compete. Yeah, like, I want to do business with you, but there's other banks offering me 3.9%. Like, what? They're, they're competitive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And timing is a big part of it, too. Yeah. So for this project right now, um, I think I spoke with three different banks Okay. before locking in on one. And, and for me, it was... It wasn't just the terms, but it was also how fast could they get it done? How yeah. fast could they turn it around? Can you do this in 60 days? Because the seller okay. really was chomping up the bit to sell this thing. Yeah. And I knew if I wanted to be a competitive buyer, then I needed to meet their timeline. Yeah. So, um, you know, you are dealing with a bureaucracy with the SBA, and, and they, they, they need to review it as well. So the bank underwrites it, then they send it up there for review. To Got the, it. And then it okay. comes back. And that can take time if 
you're working with a bank who is, you know, burdened with, um, you know, just too many loans and, yeah. and it takes so know, then 90 days the or more. And, okay. Yeah. So that, for me, that was a big part of it as well saying, okay, well, I wanted a guarantee that I, that this guy could get it done in under 60 days. Yeah. Was it important they understood restaurants too? Like, I mean, um, I think so. Yeah. Um, just as an example, I had one of, the, of one of the banks uh, say to me, "You know, we're not gonna we we we, we, like, we won't underwrite this unless you have maybe a year's worth of payroll in the bank." And I said, "Do you have any idea? <laughs> if I had a year's worth of payroll in the bank, I wouldn't would need be you." To you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he clearly didn't. He was not informed, yeah. and so he, he didn't get my business, and, uh, and yeah. I went with someone else. And then, and then in some cases. You know, uh, yeah, in, in, in many cases, they know a lot about the business and they're, they're going to know like, hey, like in your business plan, it says that you're, you're, uh, you're estimating your food costs to be 25%. That seems ambitious. How are you going to pull that off? Yeah. And then, you know, I came back and said, well, you know, there are certain items on the menu that are lower cost and that's going to be the majority of the sides and, and you have to... You have to have ways to also explain your numbers to them as well, because they're well, going to, if they know about the industry, they're going to ask you, and they're going to pick. Isn't your, that pick good? Your because it forces you to make sure you you've got your plan tight, and oh, then yeah. it also, if they understand the how restaurants work and the fact that that's like you know, okay, twenty like, then they're probably a good partner long term, mm-hmm. right? Which you really want in a bank, somebody that you can. It's not just giving you one deal, but maybe that's you know going to be there that you know as you grow you need somebody that's kind of a partner in the business that yeah absolutely get you yeah okay that's really this is extremely helpful um okay. we've never really dove deep with anybody about this stuff so that, that's extremely helpful i bet it, a lot of people listening will get a lot out of that um so. so okay so you got that done and when do you plan to when, or when do you hope to open uh, it, it's assuming yeah if everything goes through we'd love to be open by the before the end of the year oh really it's a. Um, when are you closing? We hope to close by the end of October. October. But so you a, got two months to. Yeah, it's a, it, the advantage of this is it's a, it's a second generation restaurant, so uh, we're buying. Okay. I mean, the bars there. The, You're not going to have to gut it or do buying, a bunch of. Yeah, no, we're buying all the FF and E, and okay. Um, we are. It basically just needs a lot of cosmetic yeah. stuff to to turn it into a Luna, from okay. what it is now. Okay. So, I think the total construction time to build out Luna was about five months uh-huh. and this should be less than a month okay if all this is planned it's basically Damn. refinishing the floors paint uh, okay moving some installing some new electrical for new pieces of equipment that aren't there right now that we need but relatively minor how far is Carver is it like 20 30 minutes 25 30 minutes yeah okay so easy to easy to get there and, and, and I tell you the what I, I, I'm anticipating to be a, a huge advantage of doing a second location of the same concept is that um, we can train everyone up here. So I can bring the uh, whole staff here yeah. and have them training up for a couple of weeks before we open the doors there. And then when we open the doors there, it's just like they've been, it's not like the first day. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the first night of the show where, right. where no one's right. really done this before. Very cool. Okay. And so, um, you know, whereas... Uh, opening here I've oftentimes thought of opening a restaurant as um, <clears throat> like if you were in a play yes and 
everyone had their script and had right. been kind of rehearsing their lines at home. Yeah. But had never actually got onto a stage to rehearse right, with the other right. players before. Absolutely. Yeah. And as then boom, you know, the curtains it was, it are drawn and just and, and everything's been sort of the in, dice. in theory up yeah. until that point. And, right. And, and it's only once you open those doors for a friends and family night that you're actually seeing how each person's role interacts with the other one. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a wild ride. Um, I don't know if I want to do it again. Yeah. Are you going to have them? You can have some that work in both. Yeah, we might. Yeah. So yeah. the idea right now is to, uh, I've got a great chef de cuisine right now. Okay. And the Who's idea that? is to, um, same to Andrew. He's right behind you back there. We'll, okay. Uh, he's, uh, he's going to be, the, he's going to help be there full time when, yeah. when it gets up and running. And, um, and then when, uh, once we're up and running there, then the idea is that he's going to kind of be executive over both properties. Okay. And he'll float back and forth and okay. do three here and two there, yeah. one week and vice Got versa. Um, we'll hook you up. It'll make for a schedule fly. You'll have a uh, dashboard where you can log in once, go back and forth, oh, toggle, cool. make it easy. Perfect. Yeah. Give you a discount too. 10% off both. <laughs> All right. That works. It's a penny business, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Business of pennies. Uh, okay. So you're gonna have you're gonna be there a lot. Yeah. Your bride's gonna be there a lot. That means that you and you've told me you, you've gotten to a point where you're not having to be here as much. So you have a really good team in place here. Yeah, a great team. Tell me about some of the some of the team here. Who's your GM? Um, so Anthony Koffler is uh, and and Rob Montemayor are there. I met Rob. Really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Very welcoming when I walked in here. Those guys have been with us. Anthony since day one, Rob since maybe after we were, had been over for about a month. Okay. And both those guys started off as bartenders. Yeah. And became co-managers. Okay. And um, Anthony will be a partner in the second location. Okay. And um, good for him. And he'll stay tethered to the company in, the, in that sense. And then we're working on another project. Hopefully that uh, that Rob can be a part of as well. Okay. Another location or a. Um, uh, product yeah another yeah another concept okay smaller but but related to this one yeah nice uh, it's not far enough along for me to really be able to okay, get, I gotcha. give too much detail but um, the idea is that for me when I find really great people um, I don't want to just you know keep them here yeah uh, because I don't, I, don't, I don't I don't yeah I want them to grow I don't, and just yeah. keep them here without involving them in any any other ownership opportunities um they're just going to find it with someone else exactly so and there's uh, a lot there particular gosh around here my goodness raleigh the whole triangle is full of amazing restaurant people and amazing concepts and a great culinary scene and lots of growing yeah organizations yeah and everyone and, and growing organizations are looking for people just like robin anthony yes and uh you want to hold them keep them yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and i want them to be able to, to grow and be successful absolutely for yeah sure. um yeah one of the i think one of the keys to our success here has just been the a real real low turnover yeah over, over time i don't have anyone i have the same dishwasher we opened with yeah which is how do you keep a dishwasher for you <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know you, you pay them really really well treat like them I, with respect oh yeah no i yeah I, I, they get they're the uh we, we pay them $15 an hour and yeah. 
and uh, and they, they do other prep work as well. Yeah. Um, but just little things, flexibility with work. You know, we, we have a, a real, um, it's very important to me that all of the folks in the kitchen, uh, in front of the house for that matter, are able to prioritize life over work. Yeah. So, you know, Good. if your kid is sick or has a baseball game or a dance rehearsal or what, what have you, yeah. you know, you should be able to dip out and, and, and make that a priority. And so that flexibility is there. Um, no matter what, from dishwasher to, to kitchen manager, we, we do paid time off two weeks. So they can use that paid time off for vacation if they want. Okay. Uh, or for sick days or for, you know, staying home with their kids if their kids are sick. And not many restaurants, in my experience, mm. offer that. No. Um, and, uh, yeah, things like if uh, Miriam, she's the dishwasher, if she's had a, a long day, then, hey, you know, take home dinner for the whole family. There's no reason for you to go, have to go home and try to cook right now. Just bring home dinner, you know? Love that, man. Um, so little perks like that that don't really cost us anything, and but yeah. it means a whole heck of a lot to them. Yes. Yes. Um, so, uh, and then even like small things, like I remember, and, and this wasn't me, this is my wife brought this to my attention maybe know, a few months into it. She came back and I was playing some punk rock or something on the stereo <laughs> back there. And, and is that she, your jam, punk rock? Uh, I like a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, but, you know, when I'm in the kitchen sometimes and yeah. under pressure, yeah, punk rock's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, so my wife comes in, she's like, Do you ever let any of these guys listen to the, the music they want to listen to? Ah. And I stopped and I said, man, I'm such an asshole. Uh, and so from that point forward, I just relinquished control over the music. Yeah. And I said, you guys, this, you, you put on whatever music you want to. And so, um, yeah, just, just that, having a, a more democratic feel in the, in the kitchen and, and letting them just take ownership of something as small as what music to listen to giving up control can be very liberating and uh when you give people autonomy like that it, they really value that oh and yeah the more autonomy you give people i read this book called drive i've talked about it on the podcast before it's uh by a guy named daniel pink mm-hmm. and uh drive and i think the subtitle is like what motivates people but it was he came to the conclusion it was autonomy mastery and purpose mm-hmm those yeah. three things and if you can provide that to a group of people whatever it is restaurants any business if you can really provide that those are the things like you have to cover the base you have to pay them and all you know well and all that stuff but like there's a point where that's not what you know people are making enough and they have balance that's what they want is they want autonomy mastery of whatever they're doing and some purpose behind it something bigger than just coming to work and punching the clock yeah there's no question yeah and um and that's something that i live by here i mean everyone these guys know their station better than yeah better than i do and if they ever come forward and say you know i have an idea yeah let's try this out uh or i think it might you know in, increase the efficiency of you know this dish or how, how we're plating it up then yeah so by all means let's do it let's try it out if it try works, it yeah if it Just works try it. It. that's so right the place isn't going to burn down yeah, there's an author I, li- I read, and he says, um, trial and error is worth a thousand IQ points. And <laughs> it's really true. Like, you just try stuff. Like, you know, you, you eliminate the things that don't work. So you know now that doesn't work, and you narrow down to what does, and it's just trying stuff. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, and that's the thing, that you just can't be rigid. 
in your thinking with anything. Uh, because if you do, you won't find... Well, I'll give an example. So when we first opened here, we were all counter service. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and the idea was that, you know, um, just faster food and service and, and less of an emphasis on the quality of service. Okay. It was just one less thing that I, that I had to think about was finding a, a talented, qualified, yeah. skilled wait staff. Right. So when, you would order and then come sit with a number and yeah. then bring it out? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but then we would be on these long waits. Yeah. And people didn't, it was really hard to get people to wait to then walk up to a cash register to, to order. Yeah. And then sit down. And, um, and also, you know, we built an, we tried to thread this needle with the aesthetic of the place where it was, it's, it's nice enough that you want to come for a date. Yes. But also casual and relaxing enough that you could bring your family yeah. and your kids in I here. I think you nailed that, man. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. So the people that wanted to have a date, they didn't want to order from a counter. They wanted a server. who's going to come over and talk to them about the food, talking about the menu and the wine list and things yeah. like that. And so um, we said, well, why don't we try, we'll keep the, uh, the counter service for lunch because it's working fine. In fact, we think it's, it's a benefit because... Um, you know, people are coming in for, for business lunches. Yeah. They want to pay Dutch and yeah. they want the food to come out really fast. They don't want to wait for a server to come by and greet them and say, hey, you know, can yeah. I get your drink order and, right. and, 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 and so on and so forth. They want to maximize every bit of the 60 minutes that they have for their lunch break. Yeah. But let's, then we'll convert over to full service at night. So okay. we're going to hire, we, we need to, first of all, we, get a, we have to get a host stand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so we have one on casters on wheels that we <laughs> against the wall during lunch, and then it rolls out okay. for dinner service. Nice, and then we turn into a full service restaurant at night. And um, you know, our sales went through the roof. Really? Yeah, because uh, people were previously were afraid to like get out of the queue to like even go to the bar to get a drink beforehand, uh, for okay. example. Yeah. Um, they, you know, people are sitting down. You have a server that can come and, and get like another round of drinks, as opposed to having to get up and right. go back to the counter to order again. So our check average went up. People were just—it just felt more like that experience where you want to spend a little bit more, both in time and money, yes. at the experience. So whose you know, idea was it? Um, it was it, it was a collaborative decision between okay. my previous partner but my, your point my wife was not I, being rigid with what you yeah so yeah. I mean, even even though that was something that was baked into the business plan for over a year yeah you know if i dug my heels in and said like no this is the reason why we yeah why we decided to do that then uh, i mean i don't even know i mean it could have been a disastrous decision it could have been ego is the enemy that's a book by yeah. ryan holiday have you ever heard of that book i haven't but, but you know the, yeah <laughs> i mean it's true though right like once you let your ego get in the middle of a business decision it can really uh you can go awry think yeah. quickly um, yeah. to make your point or what yeah okay um, so yeah uh, having that flexibility I think it's huge and, and being willing to to kind of scrap certain parts of the plan is really important yeah for sure for sure um, very cool man what else what else do you want to talk about what have we missed What's important for people? What do you tell people that, do you have people come to you and ask for advice and, you know? Yeah, yeah, I do. And, people and that want to start restaurants or people that are yeah. on your staff or? 
So there's a few, mostly in the realm of sustainability. And I think I was, okay. uh, I was touching on that earlier w- when I was talking about my experience with the Ritz-Carlton, which, yeah. you know, I don't want to slander them again. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, no, that, that sure. was That was 20 years ago. And, yeah. and it, like I said, it could have just been that property that was right, right. You know, doing things in, in a way that I wouldn't have done them. Um, but yeah, so w- when I decided to open the restaurant, I just... And having had just spent 10 years working in all these different industries, trying to find ways to, you know, improve the environmental footprint of that industry and, and, yeah. and improve social equity uh, for the people that were working in that industry in those communities. Um, There's just no way that I was going to open a restaurant unless I could do it in a very different way from most of my experience working in restaurants. Yeah. Okay. Prior to that, meaning that I wasn't going to exploit the people that work for me. I, I was going to... Um, focus on a lot of different types of sustainability in terms of the type of food that we uh, serve. So I real rigid criteria in that sense. And, 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 you know, I guess unlike the, the counter service versus full service, you know, these are things that I wasn't really willing to compromise on. Yes. Okay. So we're a Durham living wage certified business. I think we're one of just a, a handful of restaurants in the area that are certified, which means that we, um, you know, we pay, I think this year it's $14 an hour is, is the, the base pay. Okay. Um, it's a little less if you offer health insurance. We offer health insurance, so that was one. It's a real big focus on, on, on the employees. I, I feel like a lot of times, um, it seems like in the restaurant industry, from the consumer standpoint, there's a, a lot of awareness of, about the, the local nature of the food and mm-hmm. and the living conditions of the chickens and the cows and, and such, yes. but we're not really thinking about the people that are actually cooking that food. So it's really important to me to kind of sh- highlight yeah. how important that is. That's fascinating. You're totally right. People are getting more and more educated on their food, but the people that are coming out and taking their order and cooking the food, it's not not as big of an issue. You don't hear as much about that. Yeah. There's not as much education about that. There's not as much media and fanfare and social media and blogging and stuff about that yeah there's i mean it's in the press but you don't see it um you know you you go into a lot of restaurants these days and you'll see the farm yeah the food's coming from right and there's an emphasis on this on the local uh, nature and sustainability of those things um which don't get me wrong it's all really important but um it's i think it's just a massive oversight that we're not thinking about the people that are that are actually cooking the food and um, so that's pretty huge and so people will come to me and, and so we do that in terms of our other sustainability goals uh, we only use antibiotic free meats which Good. you know I think is uh, you know, it's a crisis it's on par almost with climate change in terms of the growth of superbugs and antibiotic resistant bacteria Damn um, right, we've overdosed on antibiotics over the last few decades. That's yeah. that's what I was talking. I think stuff like that's like a big part of why you mess up your whole gut biome. Sure. Like it anyway. But if you, it's one thing to take them, but then if you're eating stuff, you're still you're taking them. Yes, it's um, and a lot of people don't know this, but eighty um, percent of all the antibiotics that are administered in this country go to livestock and animals. Only twenty really? percent are going to human consumption. Really. So that's okay. where we're getting this. And, and so the bacteria are real smart and they can evolve really quickly. And yes. so it, yes. we're just fostering these environments that are really, really dangerous. And I think that, um, I think it was the, the WHO, the World Health Organization. Yeah. Uh, I just read this stat recently. 
said that basically by 2050, uh, deaths from antibiotic-resistant bacteria and other superbugs are going to surpass deaths from cancer and heart disease. Really? If we stay on the same track. Yeah. So to me, that's a huge... That's a big deal. Big, big deal. And, and I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of history there in terms of what meats we're using. What kind of meats do you have here? We do beef, uh, chicken. Yep, beef, uh, chicken, pork. Is um, it all local, locally raised? So uh, beef and pork is local. Uh-huh. Uh, we get um, a lot of it from firsthand foods. Okay. And our chicken, there is not a, a product that meets our criteria here in the state. Okay. For a price that we can, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we go with a Freebird product that okay. comes out of Pennsylvania. Okay. It's a. a I hope I get this right, but I think it's a cooperative of Amish farmers that have, that have kind of okay. pulled, pulled together nice. to reach economies of scale. Free, if they're free ranging. Yep. Yeah. And uh, they're all antibiotic free. And yeah. um, so I think they, you know, the price that just by comparison, we, we've looked at similar products here in the state and it's uh, $1.60 a pound versus $4 a pound. And so I, as much as I would love to, yeah. uh, to buy it here in North Carolina, I just can't charge well, you know, 25 bucks for a, a chicken dish. Yeah. Um, not in this concept anyway. No. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so we do those things and we, um, we use all compostable to go materials instead of styrofoam. That was really important. We're working towards composting. Mm. We, uh, we choose uh, a local nonprofit that works with marginalized groups and we, we donate a, a percent of sales, uh, each quarter to those groups. Uh, we give 10% discounts to educators and teachers. There's little things that we do to try and yeah. know, give back to the community. Um, and so I have some, some folks that oftentimes want to hear about how, how to thread that needle, how, how to do that in an industry that has such thin margins. Mm. And um, we have some classes from Duke uh, and actually uh, the Divinity School that have a class on ethics. And, and a lot of the folks that go into to those classes think, well, the only entities that are capable of, of uh, you know, philanthropic work or, or helping those in, in need are nonprofits. Yeah. And so the professor of that class, he says, no, they're actually re- very real world examples of even small independently owned businesses that are, that are doing really great things. Yeah. And uh, so he'll bring a class in here once a year. Nice. And I'll come out and talk to the class and just talk about the history of the restaurant and, and what we do. Very cool. Um, so that's been a big story. And then... Um, this is also my third goal for the Peace Corps. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with the Peace Corps, there's three three goals of the organization. Okay. Um, one is to uh, go to developing countries and, and, and offer technical assistance. The second goal is to help people understand and learn about American culture. And then the third goal, uh, which some people think is the most important perhaps, is when you come back, uh, teaching Americans about the culture of the country that you lived in, lived in for the last two years. Yeah, and so um, this is, in, in a sense, uh, part of my third goal. So anyone who's interested in learning about the Peace Corps and the opportunities it provides and the experience, um, I'm here to, to talk about that as well and answer any questions I can about about Ecuador and not just the food, but all parts of the culture as well. What do you, what? Tell me some things about the culture of Ecuador really diverse yeah okay yeah it's wild it's, it's this country that's um it's about the size of the state of colorado yeah and but it, within that land mass it goes from the coast to sea level 
up to uh, Andy Mount Andy's Mountains that uh, I think the tallest peak there is around twenty two thousand feet above sea level. Holy crap! Are you serious? Yeah, it's massive. There's, it's, it's they're ice capped, snow capped mountains, and it's on the equator. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, Chim- really? Yeah, Chimborazo is um, fascinating. Chimborazo is actually it's not the tallest mountain on Earth. Yeah. Uh, but it's the closest to the sun. Because when the Earth's spinning, it's okay. elongated like an egg from the centrifugal force. Right. So you, when you're standing on it, you're actually at the closest point to the sun as you can be on the, on the planet, which is pretty cool. What's the name of it? Chimborazo. P- can you, people climb it? They scale it? Yeah, yeah. All that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then... Wow. Um, That's awesome. And then, and then, then moving you know, eastward, mm. uh, you basically go down to the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. And so you have uh, just lots of different climates microclimates and because the, the the landscape is so treacherous what you've had is over time uh there hasn't been a lot of movement or migration of groups to yeah. different parts of the country so you have incredible diversity okay uh you have you know several different indigenous groups that are in the amazon that are very different from indigenous groups that are in the andes and the, yeah. and the sierra you have uh, Afro-Ecuadorian communities along the coast yeah. that are, are very different from, from those in the Andes. Um, you know, and then with those, each you have different micro-cuisines as well. You have different accents in terms of, you know, they're all... Yeah, all in this small area. All That's in a really real, cool. real tiny area. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, yeah, uh, if you, I highly recommend a visit to anyone who's looking to try a South American adventure. It's... It's great. So play Ecuador, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. And then, you know, you can also, the, the Galapagos are there as well. So you can shoot out to the Galapagos. Boy, you could, I like doing outdoorsy stuff, man. I, I'm not a mountain climber, but I like hiking a lot in the mountains. I mm-hmm. like mountain biking. I like surfing. Yes. Do all that there. It has all that, all that there. <laughs> all of it's there for you. It's just waiting. Nice. So your food has been inspired by, I love that, man. It's mixing that with Southern. I want to see, uh, so we'll wrap up here. I want to check out your menu and uh, see what's going on. Um, you have a great reputation, and um, I. Uh, well, look, I think it's. I'm very excited to hear you. Uh, not discounting the the focus on where foods. I mean, you're obviously very into that, and it's very important. But focusing on the people, um, you're at the leading edge of that, and it's a really important thing. And the, um, I, I find we talk about this a lot schedule fly Wes and I talk about this a lot I think that it, there's you know as you mentioned we have a computer in our pocket now like there's so much we're a technology business mm. <laughs> but honestly we limit our technology in part because we like to keep things simple for people but also because technology's taken over so much and uh, you know it, it's driving at one end of the barbell like uh, fast food chains and things like, like they're not going to be people there for long right it's going to be like a AI is going to it's going to be like one person in there like just fixing the equipment that, you know but everything's going to be done by uh, the burgers are flipped they're made they're you know the orders on the screen fine like in certain contexts when you want something quick and whatever I mean I get you know Chick-fil-A McDonald's we go there every now and then when we're like shit we got we got three games to get but then the other end of that is like I believe we believe uh, at Schedule Fly that the the independent restaurant is like this. It, 
it's becoming more and more meaningful and valuable every day. And in part of, a big part of that is because we are people and we need human interaction. We need a place to congregate, to socialize, to have that engagement, like you're, especially like you're having it. Not, you've got the staff here. It's brilliant what you've done because at lunch you're not. You're like, I just need to eat and whatever. And then at mm-hmm. night you're like, it's that uh, interaction with people. People are so important. They, and when we treat people with respect and we... You know, and this is important. I talk to, you know, our kids about that. Like when we have a server, they're not just bringing our food. This is a person who has a story, who's doing, working hard to support a family or to fulfill a dream or, you know, whatever. And we, we look at them in their eyes and we respect them and we ask them about them and how's their day. It's not like, you know, like they're not a servant. They are there, you know, delivering hospitality to us. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very important. The people that are cooking that food they're pouring their heart and their passion, their love into it at the best places, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, this is where, and that comes across. And so when you have that, I believe this very passionately that it, it comes across to the consumer and it becomes, it's becoming more and more meaningful and valuable because we get that less and less mm. in so many aspects of our life and true genuine service and hospitality is like almost a lost art. And when you find it, you're like, oh. like the coffee shop I go to every day, it's just because of that. I don't yeah. I drink the coffee the coffee's good i like good coffee that isn't why i go every day yeah yeah it's not why i think that's right i mean and, and for anyone else who's thinking about doing this or who who is doing it yeah i've tried to crunch the numbers on on what it costs to train someone yeah and uh it costs about two thousand dollars is what i've figured to, okay. to train someone up fully train them up yeah yeah and uh, and that's over the course of I mean they can get up and running in about a week or two but you know they're still going to have lots of inefficiencies yeah until they kind of ramp up and then and then they're where they need to be yeah um you know I've worked in restaurants where the, the same position gets turned over three times in a year yeah six grand so that's six grand minimum right? it's probably conservative yeah <laughs> and then so the, yeah and then you're not even counting the owner's time mm-hmm. which is I got to post an ad on Craigslist or somewhere. I've got to vet and go through the hundreds All of emails that come yeah, through, and I yeah. and I got to set up interviews and yeah, maybe you know half of them don't show up. Exactly, <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> so there's that. And so and that's not even taking into all that time, yeah. which is incredibly valuable. Again, our, our, our non-renewable resource. So an, an, something else that's, that costs two thousand dollars is an annual raise for a dollar increase yeah. in, in pay, right? So okay. you increase the pay a dollar, that's going to increase the annual, uh, it's an increase of $2,000 salary over yeah. the course of the year. Okay. So that means if right now I, I've, I've kind of come to this place where if someone, if I see someone that they're a keeper, right? That yeah. they, they've got skills, they've got determination, they want to be here, they care, they get along with the rest of the team. Um, I pay them what I would pay them three years from now. I just bump them up yeah, know, three, four dollars, right? I just lock Brilliant. it down. Yeah. And so let's say it's three dollars. We've been talking about the math of three turnovers. Yeah. So I've increased my annual expense by six thousand dollars for that year. Let's say I, I started off at twelve. Yeah. In a in a as an entry rate, just to kind of test them out for the first few weeks, and I see that four weeks into it, I see their keeper. Yeah. So then boom, that goes to fifteen. Okay. Um. As opposed to saying like, oh, you know, another six months, we're going to give you a 50 cent raise. And yeah, that seems to be the way that the industry typically works. Yeah. Um, no, I just go straight $3 more. Right. And, um, 
And that way, I've kind of, if they stick around for a year, yeah, I've broke even. If they stick around for another year, well, I'm, I'm ahead yeah. that same amount, $6,000. Um, and that's just an example. I mean, it's, and I'll continue to give them raises even after that, of course. But the, the well, every year some, you save them, you're saving two grand and, Oh, and that's every time it could get turned over. Yeah. So um, it seems a lot of people, a lot of people in, in the industry and friends of mine and colleagues, they think that's crazy. Yeah. Like, what do you mean your line cook's getting $17, $18 an hour now? Your dishwasher's been getting paid $15 an hour. Yeah. Well, it means I don't have to come and wash dishes on a Saturday night. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, Dude, way, it's way worth it. For sure, uh, and and then the consistency too. It it, it yeah, just, just the whole just, thing. Yeah. It's the whole song and dance. It's the production. It's like yeah. the same actors every night delivering the same. It's gonna yeah. be, you know it's tight and it's gonna work. And then you bring in somebody's like screw this, I quit. And you bring in somebody new. It's like ah, and yeah. It, it may still taste good, but it's not. Yeah, the same. it's not the same. The consistency is in there. Yeah. So uh, you know the guy that's back there. He's he works all of our rotisserie chicken, all the uh, the Peruvian chicken that we do, and he. Um, He's been with us for two years. Yeah. And so every time you come in here, it's going to taste exactly the same. Mm-hmm. All the sauces are going to be the same. All the sides are going to be the same that come off the station. And, uh, and so that, you know, also has tremendous value. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I know you got a role, but uh, let me ask you one last huh? question. Uh, who do you, um, who around here have you, you know, you mentioned early mentors. Who around here do you kind of follow and respect and admire and the, you know, triangle area or outside i don't know elsewhere charleston wherever else you go yeah it's um i wish i i knew better a lot yeah. of people in the in in, in, the, in the local area but the, the fact of the matter is between opening this place and and having the family i, I don't get out as yeah, much as i'd like to yeah but um i gotta give a big shout out to uh nick hawthorne johnson and his wife rochelle where are they um so they have the cookery okay and Dashi, they're part right. owner of Dashi and Pony Soros. All right, um, they have their hands in all those projects and mm. probably some more. To I think come. they're Pony Soros. I think they're a customer. I have to look it up. I used to know me I don't. Yeah. Okay. If they so, are, they should be. Yeah. Well, why? Why, <laughs> did, why is that you give them a big shout out? What are they? Well, I mean, first, I mean, they, they run fantastic businesses. I, they're, yeah. they're they're really great at what they do. Yeah. Uh, Nick and Rochelle are the first people that I spoke to when I was asking about you know. Uh, just bouncing ideas about the restaurant and, and opening it here in Durham and they were just an open book and, and have always been since then. Very honest and helpful and transparent. Oh, super, super yeah. helpful. Yeah, they're Love great. Um, like and they also share a lot of the same um, giving back to the community values that I respect. So Good. they, um, at Pony Source, every year they do a, a big concert fundraiser for, for the ACLU. Nice. I think, I think last year, they, they probably would never... Um, say this themselves but i think they raised over thirty thousand dollars last year for the ACLU. um they're foster parents and um and they are big big advocates for fostering and they they'll host events at the brewery for anyone who else is interested in becoming a foster parent um so yeah they're just all around just they're great at what they do they're they're great for the community and 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 they're good friends um nick johnson yep nick hawthorne johnson yeah and his wife rochelle yeah they're a customer uh, we got to get him on the podcast. You should, you should. Yeah. Man, that'd be great to talk to. Um, Send him your uh, episode. I'll follow. I'll, yeah, I would love to have him on I here. I will. Mm-hmm. Seth Gross is another I know one. Seth. Yeah. He was in our, uh, which book was he in? Was it the first one or the second one? God, I don't remember. It was the first one. Okay. I loved his, uh, he takes a stand. Like, I love the fact that he takes, like, he won't use, you know, 
stuff from a long way away. Oh, yeah. Like he's, he's really he's local, local like he's only. like I don't put tomatoes on my burgers yeah. in the wintertime. And <laughs> I freaking love that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool because it's like you said, there's certain things you just won't compromise on. There's other things you need to like yeah. you switch from but when you take a stand like that, people respect that. Now some people might come in as he said, like they're like, What the hell? I'm not fine that's not who you really want to serve anyway you want to serve people that go that's badass and right. i'm going to come a lot because of it right yeah. anyway i'm sorry i took over the no, interrupted no, you, you there you, you, I, you, I like him a lot he's great he's great and he's also someone who um agreed to meet with me very early on okay uh, didn't i never met me before but a friend of a friend introduced us via, via email and he took you know an hour out of his busy day and he had two restaurants at the time and um and just anything from you know advice on hiring to a plumber i mean he was there for me and Good dude. Uh, he's, By the, he's also got people yeah uh, yeah all of them are that's awesome uh he's got um and he's got pompiera pizza there too and mm-hmm. the, and the, but he's got people tattooing his brewery and burger logo uh, yeah. on his that's like free for life or whatever it is you get it no it wasn't it was you get a discount for life if you put a tattoo and he's had like seven people do it or something yeah like, it's great it's freaking <laughs> that's cool man i love that definitely thinking outside the box it is i love it though that's really unique yeah. um where else have you heard doing that lunar rotisserie tattoo man you got a lunar rotisserie tattoo on yourself i well I, this one i got uh it, it's i got it at the year anniversary of the of the uh restaurant once we've been open one year and for viewers that can't see it it's a similar to this uh design up here yeah it's a whisk um then with different types of uh celestial bodies got it surrounding the and so they they actually represent different members of my family so my wife and my kids are all on there okay when we get done here i want to get some pictures and uh i'll get some pictures of you and then maybe some of the like i'll put them on instagram and and, uh you know because that's how we basically how we announce these episodes mm-hmm. so i stick an episode or I, you know put pictures of the person up on instagram and write a summary and then uh you know we just say link in bio and they come to our website and find mm-hmm. it or whatever but yeah and anybody listen you can come see the pictures yeah absolutely cool tattoo Thanks. what's your other one there uh this one is a bit more complicated but it's uh it's essentially me running through the, the history of life on earth holy cow that's freaking awesome <laughs> very cool yeah well i won't get you to dive into it but i'm gonna get a picture and i'm gonna sit there and study it yeah I, I, that's really cool two great local tattoo artists uh cohen meyer yeah. did the one on my left arm okay and uh samantha castrovinci did the one on on this shout arm. out to cohen and samantha Big shout out and uh yeah we hope nice. to be working with both of them a little bit more in the future. Nice. Samantha's been doing some mural work in different restaurants. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, my daughter's, uh, she's 15. She's a really good artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just, I'm, I'm blown away. My wife and I both are. And, but she's real, uh, real humble about it and just real keeps it to herself. But I've been trying to convince her to, you know, consider like building a web like helping her build a website and you know sell some of her art and just learn about business that way mm-hmm. you don't learn all this stuff in school man like that you know like all the stuff that really becomes really meaningful when you have to run an actual business and have a product and deliver the product and provide service and i mean you're right there's so much it's <laughs> so much of all the stuff you talk about with treating your people well man that is not just a it's any business right yeah. like it doesn't matter what business you're in if you're 
man, if you're treating your people well, it makes a big, big difference for the success of that business. Yeah, sure it does. If you really genuinely care about them and their prosperity and their happiness and their longevity and their dreams and what they're doing. I'm sure if somebody came to you and said, hey, man, I love it, but I got my own thing I'm going to go do. I got this dream and I'm going to start my own restaurant. You'd be like, hey, man. How can I help? I'll be the first customer, you know? Oh, yeah. I've, I've shared my business plan with people and, oh, and walked walk through the numbers. Awesome. and, and uh, It's very cool of you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to be a resource for people that, that, that have been a resource for me. It's a, it's a two-way street. Tell people where, to, uh, where do they find you? Well, uh, lunarotisserie.com Luna will be our website. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Nice. At Luna Rotisserie? Yep. Yeah, okay. Check it out, y'all. Um, I think that's it. Uh, I appreciate it very, very much. Well, thank Highly you, educational. Um, really enjoyed meeting you. Respect what you're doing. Appreciate having you as a customer. And uh, yeah, we'll get, um, get this thing up soon and share this thing out there. And uh, folks, thanks for listening. And Sean, thanks for doing it. My pleasure, Will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Absolutely. That's a wrap. We'll have another one soon.